息越靠越近，但你的温柔是我唯一沉迷。你是爱我的，就不怕有缝隙，在我心上用力的开枪，让一切归零在这瞬间。We guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms.、Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwuar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. Anime Evolution is taking over UBC's new sub from July 17th to 19th. Guest stars include YTV's Phil Guerrero, Michael Dangerfeld, and more. The convention concludes with the Final Fantasy concert at the Chan Center, beginning at 5:30 p.m. Information. Check out AnimeEvolution.com. Union Events presents Against Me, July 17th at the Vogue Theater. Against Me tour in support of their new album Transgender Dysphoria Blues. With openers Frank Hero and the Celebration, plus Annie Girl and the Flight. More info can be found on AgainstMe.net. Advance tickets are $24.50. Available at Red Cat Records and online at Ticketfly.com.
Hi. Welcome to the Arts Report on July 16th, right? Approximately. Approximately the 16th. We are tuned into CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Um, I'm Jake here for CITR, and Andy, you are uh, taking control of the boards today. How does it feel? It feels very frightening. <laughs> well, you're doing an awesome job. Uh, who do we have on the show today? Sure, today we have. Uh, we should have an interview with Jill Barber on the phone coming up, and a second interview with uh, Bong Ziwei. Is that how you pronounce his name? We'll, we'll find out before we get him on the line, that's <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's right. And hopefully Christine will be here later on to do a few reviews on some plays she saw. That's right. Christine went and saw um, Weaver Woman uh, a couple of weeks ago, a play that she um, brought us an interview about. And she also went to go see Oliver at Theatre Under the Stars. So uh, we're going to have Christine on the line as well. So it's a very phone-heavy day today. Um, so it'll be really great. Um, I wonder if you've got any um, folk fest artist musicians um, who we can listen to uh, while we get Jill on the line. Yeah, we have uh, Old Man Ludek. Um, I, I would Ludeck. say Ludica. Ludica. Old Man Ludica. Ludica. Baby, we'd be rich. Singing for my supper. Celery and Mr. Noodles Watching other cats walk Along a windowsill With a mattress on the floor And her records in the cartons Dreaming of the country Running from the bills If reading books was money If spinning records was investing If drinking was consulting Baby, we'd be rich Going on a picnic Rolling in the grass now The agent miracle and wonder Just trying to get her kicks I would spend my last ten dollars Buy us with tequilas Leave the pack up and waiting No minutes on my phone
Welcome back to CITR 101.9 FM. You are tuned in to The Arts Report. Now, Jill Barber is a Vancouver-based singer-songwriter who spans folk, country, pop, and jazz. Matthew Barber is a Toronto-based singer-songwriter whose latest self-titled record delivers both foot stompers and soulful ballads, and they are siblings. Uh, Siblings who are playing together this weekend at the 38th annual Vancouver Folk Music Festival to talk about sharing the stage with her older brother. Jill joins us over the phone. Hello. Uh, Thank thank you very much. Um, We appreciate you taking the time with us today. Um, Now, you just returned from Toronto where you were performing at the Pan Am Games. How was that? That's right. It was lots of fun. Big stage, screens, lights, big crowd, um, and Toronto is my hometown, so it was really fun to go back and kind of be a part of this big celebration. And, uh, you know, the great thing about these big sporting events, kind of like the Olympics here in Vancouver, is they have a huge cultural component, so it was cool to be a part of it. Really cool. I, I it, it kind of felt with the summer there was the West Coast had the Women's World Cup and the East Coast had the Pan Am Games and they kind of almost didn't want to um, combine together. But it was really cool to get that um, that spirit. Um, Absolutely. City spirit coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- now you're performing by yourself at Tor- in Toronto and now you're going to be performing with, with Matthew Barber, your brother. What it's like? Well, what is it like to perform with him? It is a long time dream. I feel like Matt and I have been talking about this idea for years, uh, but we've both been really busy with our own careers. So um, we were just kind of waiting for the right moment to um, to actually carve out some time and collaborate on a record. So a couple of months ago, Matt and I went into studio and we recorded an album together. Uh, it's kind of half um, original songs that we each wrote and half classic covers that we kind of interpret and lots of sibling harmonies and um, really kind of warm, organic, beautiful kind of folky vibe on the record. Um, and so we made this album. It's going to come out in the new year, but we're so thrilled that the uh, the Vancouver Folk Festival invited us to come and kind of give a bit of a preview um, of the album and of the project. So we're looking forward to um, to performing live here in my new hometown, uh, <laughs> my, my new home of Vancouver. It's not so new anymore. I've been here for seven years now, but um, it's still, you know, it's still new, I suppose. It's the second home, yeah. Um, well, yeah. You, you've shared the stage with him before. Uh, you, there was a sibling, not a sibling rivalry, but a sibling revelry tour that happened. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was many years ago now, though. I mean, I think that's kind of be like eight or nine years ago was the last time we even toured together. So um, I, the last couple of months, I've I've had this opportunity to spend all this time with my big brother, which has been so nice because, you know, we haven't lived in the same city for a dozen years and uh, we're getting lots of opportunity to kind of have good quality hang time. And, um, and working with him has been like, I wasn't really sure working with my brother, you know, how, right. if, if I'm used to kind of being the, the one with the final say. And in this case, we have to kind of share those duties and um and 
work together and it's just it's been so nice i mean that's why we called that tour all those years ago the sibling revelry tour um matt and i were really close we always have been and uh you know we've kind of been each other's biggest champions and allies uh we we have for reason we've never really had that kind of like sibling rivalry that uh, that tension that exists in lots of families well i i've got two older brothers myself and it feels like if we were going to do a project like that i mean my brothers and i are very close and 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 good friends but there's definitely challenges that happen when if if there's a decision that has to be made um you, it, it because you're so close, you can kind of take liberties and and you don't have to be polite to the other person. Is mm-hmm. it is it hard to make those kind of decisions? Well, every decision we've made has kind of happened pretty easily. So we tend to be on the same page. Uh, at least we have been with this project. And, um, you know, we both have a lot of years of experience under our belt in music. Mm-hmm. And um, we also, I think, come from really similar musical backgrounds. So I guess at the end of the day, our sensibilities are kind of aligned. And uh, and so, anyway, we haven't had any, any major fights. Um, right. <laughs> we've kind of, yeah, we, we've been respectful and we tend to sort of feel the same way about musical choices. So... I'm happy to say that that it's been actually a really easy and fun process working with him. Very cool. It's it's more organic than mom and dad saying you have to take your little sister with you on tour or something like that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, my parents haven't intervened in this one. Um, we just we actually genuinely wanted to work together. So um, yeah, it's it's lots of fun. What can I say? I think that comes across too in the show, like that we're happy to be working together and playing music together. It's pretty. Ex- pretty cool to be able to do that with your sibling you know yeah how long uh, was there always music around in in your house growing up um you know my parents had a record player and listened to records but they're not musical themselves they don't play instruments and they don't um you know they're not particularly gifted musically they don't really sing in key uh so <laughs> i don't know they um it's kind of mysterious we don't come from a musical family but i guess moving forward we anyway we're half a musical family because um because matt and i have both gone on to you know professionally make music in our lives and uh but we didn't come by it growing up around the piano singing songs or anything my our dad is a scientist and our mom was a teacher and neither of them are particularly musical but they're you know they're happy to see us doing what we love and they're very supportive of us while we're talking about family, your performances and tour dynamics must have changed recently in the past couple of years. You're, you are a parent. Um, mm-hmm. And do, do you bring your child with you on, on tour? Yep. Uh, our son, Joshua, has been, he, he was on the road with me from the time he was six weeks old. Um, he's just about to turn two, and I, I have to tell you, he's officially retiring from touring, <laughs> from touring life now that he's two. It was great touring with him, um, you know, up until it, he was about 18 or 20 months, because he was very portable and um, very amenable to car rides, plane rides. He was a, he's a great, great baby and great little guy, but he is now old enough that he uh, he wants to be running around kicking a soccer ball. He doesn't want to be cooped up um, or traveling with me anymore. <laughs> so um, he is 
it was great touring with him, but he's now old enough that um, I can go out on little stints um, and he stays home with his dad and, uh, and we have lots of help, um, which makes all the difference. But yeah, I mean, it's changed my life certainly, but, um, I have, I have continued working throughout motherhood and so far it's a fine balance, but it's, um, it's doable, which is the best I can say. I, I, I really love being a mom and I love my career and I'm trying to do both at the same time. So, um, it's working out so far. Very cool, and a cool privilege to be able to to combine those two things too. Yes, definitely. Um, at the one of the things about the Vancouver Folk Music Festival is the kind of collaborations that happen um, on on the smaller stages. Uh, at, at one of the stages this year, you and Matthew will be performing with um, Jen Grant and Hoxley Workman. Um, what are, what are you expecting out of that show? I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, Jen is a really good friend of mine. I used to live in Halifax before I moved to Vancouver, and so we kind of came up together in the Halifax music scene. And um, so I'm a friend and a fan, huge fan of hers. And Hawksley, actually, Matt and I, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, Matt and I toured with him in Australia for like two or three weeks. So Very cool. We, I, like both of those artists... Um, are people that I'm going to feel very comfortable on stage with, and I'm and I'm just really looking forward to that workshop because um, it's a nice opportunity to to collaborate with and to visit with um, musical friends that I really admire and and whose work I just you know I, I feel honored to to share. Um, you know, to be on the stage with them. And so, yeah, that that's one that's definitely going to be a highlight, I think, for both Matt and I. I think I can speak for him, too, because Matt and I used to go see Hoxley Workman when we were teenagers in high school, and he would do all-ages shows in, in Toronto. And, and we'd go. Like, he was he was a big influence on both of us in the early days, you know, mm-hmm. when it came to showmanship and um, just really putting on a great show. So... You know, we're long-time, long-time fans of Hoxley, like dating back to his first record. Oh, really cool. So that'll, that'll be a stage that fans can keep an eye out and they can earmark in their Vancouver Folk Fest programs. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there, there's a rumor that, um, that you have, in, in your career, you ha- somehow have been able to only need one day job. Is that a true rumor? Uh, that rumor is true. I... For, it was less than a year. It was maybe eight months or something. I was accounts receivable officer at a, um, actually for a really cool uh, company. Uh, they were a, an alt weekly paper out of Halifax called The Coast, and they're still going. And I went in there when I moved to Halifax. It was just a struggling new musician, and I asked for a job. And they said, "Well, we don't have a job, but you can be an intern." So I worked for free there for, I don't know, three or four months before um, an opening came up and then I and it was in this like the job was to call people and kind of threaten to break knees if they didn't pay up what they owed and that was the job that I had the one and only job that I had um as a professional (laughs) non-musician so um but I was really happy to um when I kind of got my first break to make my first record and it was going to be recorded by the CBC and funded by the CBC uh i kind of said okay great and I took that as an opportunity to 
to quit my job, and oh, I haven't totally. worked a day in my life since. Well, it sounds like you're working very hard <laughs> touring well, and bringing Joshua along and everything. Well, you know what they say when you find something you love. So I've been doing that for many years now. I feel very, very fortunate to do that. Well, very cool. Well, uh, Jill, thank you very much for taking the time with us. Um, in we're, We've got some music queued up of you and Matthew performing together. Um, so we're going to leave audiences here with Where the River Bends, something that um, perhaps they will hear at the Vancouver Folk Music Festival. Will um, siblings Jill Barber and Matthew Barber performing together. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for taking the time with us. Tell me what you feel Is this thing a fake Or is it for real Is it what you hope for Or what you dream Is it something strange That we never see Does it lift you up
are tuned into CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, and we're broadcasting to you live from unceded Musqueam territory out at UBC campus. Um, now, we have a special announcement. We have three pairs of tickets to give away to the Vancouver Folk Music Festival this weekend. One pair for Friday night. Uh, well, a pair for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So if you are interested in a pair of tickets to the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, send us an email at arts at citr.ca, and the first three... Um, the first people, the first three people to email will get a pair of tickets for either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. What are the value of those tickets? The value is quite significant. I have the brochure of the Folk Festival in front of me, and it, I mean, besides monetary value, the... <laughs> the Which is what we do not trade in here at CITR. <laughs> I mean, the number of performances, I think, is, is unrivaled. It's the 38th mm -hmm. annual Folk Festival, and it is definitely something that you will want. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that much. Now, speaking of the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, um, Bongazewe Mandab uh, Mabadla describes himself as an urban African folk singer. Uh, he's from Solo, South Africa, and is playing at the Vancouver uh, Folk Music Festival, the 38th annual Vancouver Folk Music Festival this weekend. Um, tonight, though, he's playing a show in Duncan, BC, and he joins us over the phone. Welcome. Hey, how are you? Oh, doing very well. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I well, I appreciate you taking the time with us. Um, you're in the studio. No, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, now, one of the terms that kind of seems to follow your music a little bit is is urban African folk or traditional. Uh, sorry, urban traditional folk or urban African folk. What does that term mean to you? Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, um, just you know, as the word describes, you know, it's just a mixture. Of all those things, I think, you know, these days musicians, you know, aren't specifically looking at, you know, maybe one specific genre, mm -hmm. but, you know, uh, mixing genres. So, yeah, urban in that, you know, it's, you know, my music's kind of new and I'm some, some, somehow a young artist and a traditional because, you know, it's definitely influenced in, uh, uh, by traditional music from South Africa, traditional Kosa music. And, you know, African folk is just, you know, uh, I guess what the material is about. Um, it's got a folk which is like a strong message, um, a story side to it. So it's like, I guess, a, a mixing of, of all those genres. Very cool. Uh, part of that, too, you, you write songs in English as well as, um, as Zosa, one of, one of the official languages of South Kosa, Africa. Yeah. Kosa, yeah. Kosa. Um, yeah. Yeah, mostly in Kosa, a few in English, um, writing more in Kosa, yeah. Do, do you find that's been like a big influence? And I, I read now that you're living in Johannesburg and you're coming from that rural context. Like, do you have, see other artists like yourself uh, working in South Africa now or are you maybe something yeah. a bit more unique? Yeah, I do think, you know, definitely, you know, we we influence each other a lot as young artists. Um, definitely, I'm, uh, I wouldn't say I'm the first uh, mm -hmm. no, person no. doing this in South Africa. Right. But definitely, you know, putting my own spin on what, what some few artists have been, have been doing. A lot of, a lot of South, young South African artists are doing more soulful music. Uh, so I'm definitely unique in a folk sense. And, uh, and in a, uh, but definitely there's a strong traditional kind of urbanizing of music. So I would say, yeah. There is, but also it's kind of still kind of different as well. 
When did you find uh, music in your life? When did you come to to listen and, and start to create music? Yeah, man, it happened accidentally. You know, I was in uh, high school, uh, grade 11, you know, when like there was a guitar specialist at my school, you know, that was teaching guitar. So I thought, you know, I love to just learn, you know, just a little bit. But, you know, I never knew how much it would change my life and uh, how would it impact uh, everything I do. But, yeah, that was there, you know, and I just started learning guitar. But it took me a while, about four years later, I would say when I was in varsity, and I would say I was becoming like a uh, a young man, you know, trying to discover myself and trying to understand myself. It was basically, I would say, that's the time, you know, when, you know, I started to take it seriously and other people started to also be, you know, be affected by by what I was creating. But I think that was then, you know, but I'm always, you know, um, getting inspired. Just even being here in Canada just makes me want to be more of a musician. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, d- definitely. Uh, so you had like a crazy touring like schedule last year, and we were going to ask about you just being all over the world and like your thoughts about that process. But now, now that you are in the Pacific Northwest for like the first time, how has that been affecting you? Like being around the environment here and the communities here? Yeah, I, I, I definitely, you know, um, um, I have traveled a bit and I just have never seen such a folk, folk, uh, folk fascinated, uh, place <laughs> like I've seen here in Canada. You know, I was at Atlan Music Festival, Atlan, and you know, it's just like I, I've never seen that kind of appreciation for, for kind of folk music, especially I think, you know, where I come from, South Africa, folk is not necessarily a big genre. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm always just learning things, and 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 hence I said, you know, I'm, I want to be more of a musician is because you know I'd never experienced these kind of showcases like I'm experiencing here in Canada. Yeah. Do you, what was your reception like in Canada? It's a very well. I know that you've toured in in America before, but do, do you notice a difference between between us and our neighbors to the south? Um. Yeah, I did, and it's more that that like raw folk kind of fascination. I'd never seen it, you know. I saw some really folky bands, and like you know, <laughs> just music yeah. I've always loved, and uh, I've kind of believed like maybe it doesn't have a place uh, in the world anymore. And to kind of see it re-emphasizes, you know, that uh, you know that there's you know there's still mm. like a big strong hold on folk. Like I spoke to this other girl. Also at another festival, you know, who was telling me folk is not dead, you know. Mm-hmm. I've never seen so many uh, folkies in, 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 in one place. It's wonderful mm-hmm. for me, yeah. It, it's interesting that you describe it like that because, like, listening to your music, there, there's optimism there, but there's also, like, the sadness underneath it. And do you find yourself, like, like you said, maybe there's not a place for that kind of music in the world anymore. Do you find yourself moving in a certain direction there? Yeah, you know, just in terms of just, like, my music and and uh, being accepted and and being recognized, you know, it's been like a kind of a up and down kind of struggle. So yeah. I've re- I've really had to deal with a lot of those uh, of those issues. Um, yeah, I would say um, you know I I do feel the, the the pressure to change a lot 
to, to, to go to a different sound. But, you know, it takes instances like this and, and moments like this, you know, where, you know, when maybe you feel like, you know, maybe what you're doing is, is, is exact the way it is and, mm-hmm. and, and fine and perfect the way it is. So hopefully, you know, this, this trip is also going to influence my, my work in a different way. And, yeah. Now, John John mentioned your touring schedule a little bit before. There was one stop on your schedule that we kind of wanted to ask you about in particular, but um, you've traveled and performed in, in Germany, in Japan, across the United States, but you also made one stop, according to your website, in, in North Korea. Uh, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I was playing a, a one festival, and it was part of my Japanese tour. Um yeah, I had a, a, a great experience as well there. I didn't stay very long, unfortunately. But uh, what I do recall is just also uh, the fascination with music over there. And, like, you know, we were a band that they'd never seen and they'd never really heard. And just to be received like that was just, like, eye-opening for me. Uh, uh, especially, you know, in, in, in a place where I think they make such great music, like, you know, uh, Korean music is, you know, so yeah, it was a great experience. I was mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, um, when you were traveling in America, you perf- uh, participated in um, One Beat. Can you tell us a little bit about One Beat? Yeah, One Beat is an organization in the states funded by the by the state uh, United States government, and um, it's about bringing like twenty five musicians from across the world. So was from 17 different countries, you know, and to come and participate in collaborations, interactions, conversations uh, uh, about music and, and you know, also social issues in those different countries. So it was also just like a great um, contribution also to my sound and while I know, you know, uh, just working with guys from Egypt, Israel, you know, um, the States, you know, we actually, I actually met one girl at the other folk festival, Atlin, who was, you know, so it's, you know, there was those, those kind of relationships that were made and it's great for us to still bump around each other around the world. So, yeah. Well, hopefully you can make those sorts of collaborations and relationships at the Vancouver Folk Festival this weekend as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I've been working really hard uh, preparing, and uh, so yeah, I can't wait. Uh, will we hear any of the new album that you have upcoming this year at the Folk Festival? Yeah, I'm mostly playing ma- some new material since my album was, you know, was released like over three years ago. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm really trying to, to to bring forth a new sound. Yeah, and uh, and also just that experimenting with new material. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thanks very much for for taking the time with us. And and tonight, uh, you you're in Duncan, BC, I believe, and yeah. uh, performing in Duncan. So if if anyone listening happens to be in Duncan, we'll give them a taste of your music right now, and hopefully they can come out for the show. Um, yeah, yeah, please. And for those listening in Vancouver, they'll have to wait a couple of days uh, for the Folk Music Festival. We are uh, giving away some passes for that still. 
Yes, we are. Um, if you want a, uh, to win a pair of passes to the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, um, send us an email at arts at citr.ca. Uh, it looks like we have... Um, there, well, we've got three passes to give away. It looks like we still have Friday and Saturday available. Um, so send us an email, arts at citr.ca. Um, and uh, Bongazewe, thank you very much for, for taking the time with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Same old, same old. 
purely physical. Timber Concerts is proud to present Built to Spill. Touring to support their latest release, Untethered Moon, Built to Spill will be playing the Commodore Ballroom on July 25th with special guest Slam Dunk. Tickets are available at TimberConcerts.com, Red Cat, and Zulu Records. Doors open at 8 p.m., show starts at 9.30. Welcome back to CITR 101.9 FM. You are tuned in to the Arts Report, and we're broadcasting to you live from uh, unceded Moscow territory out at UBC campus. And we are in our, I guess it's not brand new anymore. It's been a, it's been a few weeks, hasn't it? A couple of weeks. We're, we're, getting, um, we're getting used to this new space, but we have some exciting tickets to give away. One pair is left. At arts at citr.ca, email in right now. And you can win Folk Festival Friday night tickets. It looks like Saturday and Sunday are gone, but you can get a pair of tickets to Friday night. Um, all right. Now, uh, our theater correspondent, Christine Kim, joins us over the phone, and she is here to talk about um, two shows. Welcome, Christine. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you brought us a an interview related to um, to Weaver Woman, which was part of the Dancing on the Edge Festival, and uh, I believe you went to see that show. Yes, I did. So the show happened about two weeks ago. It happened from July third to the fifth, um, a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday performance at the Scotiabank Dance Center. And um, for those of you guys who don't know what the story is really about, it's um, based on a really famous Korean short story about a woman who's longing and aching for the return of her husband. And you don't really know in the beginning of the show whether or not the husband's um, dead or whether or not the husband is just gone away for a really long time. And it's only throughout the show as she starts to recollect her memories and as she starts to talk a little bit more about her feelings um, that you realize that she's longing for somebody who um, who did pass away. Um, and the story is kind of central, like centered around her grief and how she deals with it. Because in the very end of the play, she ends up um, she ends up kind of meeting her um meeting her denial of the fact that her husband is gone forever um head on and you see her uh kind of accepting that and then um walking past uh this symbolic river um mm. into uh, i guess the next stage of her life um so i went into the play um really expecting kind of a recreation or um or a manifestation of the story itself. But surprisingly enough, um, Maki Yi, who was the woman that I interviewed, um, she plays the 
main character woman and she's actually she plays the narrator so the way that the story the performance was structured was that they took parts of the story's narration out and they did a dramatic telling of it um so it was it was performed more um like a monologue than a um than like a theater performance um i would say and her memories of the time that she spent with her husband um, is kind of um, it comes to life um, as to as a female dancer and a male dancer they do this kind of Japanese um, dance style on stage to um, reflect the kind of um, events that Maki's um, telling through her narration mm. um, yeah so it was really interesting to watch and some of the other things that I thought were really cool was that um, Maki Yushi does the narration in English, but um, intermittently she'll um, say certain words in Korean. Um, I Very guess just cool. for just for dramatic effect. So there's Japanese dancing, and then there's the Korean um, words that Maki says. But then um, some of the music, there's a live Chinese traditional singer um, in the background. Um, so there was a lot of different um, cultural themes <laughs> throughout this um, telling of the short story. Um, and I thought that, in my opinion, I thought that um, it kind of took away a little bit from uh, the cultural significance of the Korean short story that they were trying to tell by inputting in, you know, so many other, um, so many other traditional aspects of other cultures. It was a pan-cultural um, sort of a celebration. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose that um, for Maki, at least, when I caught up with her after the show and she was just talking to me about um, some of the elements from the original short story instead of the recreation that they did, that um, there were a lot of elements of the plot that they couldn't really emphasize because of the audience that they were speaking to. They weren't speaking to um, an audience that was familiar with Korean culture, right? They were speaking to an audience um, that's prim like predominantly Western. So um, things like the fact that um, the Weaver woman, she's in white garment and in Korean culture, that does mean that um, somebody has passed away and she's in mourning. Um, and other things like um, how in the short story, her husband um, has a slight deformity um, in that he's supposed to have six fingers. And that's kind of like a big revelation at the very end of the story um, that you didn't really know about until um, the Weaver woman kind of like talks about her last memory with him. Hmm. Um, and she talks about that detail. But again, that's not something that um, is very significant or um, significant on like face glance without having explained like the rest of the cultural background. Right. Um, so there were little things like that, that I was a little bit disappointed that they couldn't, um, I guess, really emphasize just because of the audience that they were speaking to. Um, but that being said, I mean, I thought that it was a very well acted performance. I think Maki did so well in being able to um, really place herself in um, the position that the Weaver woman was in and just um, really express her um, anguish over the loss of her husband. Um, there's one scene in particular where she is talking about how she 
would like to bear the son of her husband. And um, I guess it was like really impactful for me because I know that at least back then in Korean culture, if you weren't able to bear a son for your husband, it was seen as like a very big disgrace to the family or like to your name. And so her kind of um, grief over the fact that she can't carry on the name of um, the name of her husband because she didn't bear him a child before he passed away um, was really like powerful. And um, I think she did a great job in acting that. Now, um, one of the, I, I have, I've saw some stills and some photographs in, in some of the, the, you know, um, kind of press pictures uh, released for the performance. And what kind of struck me was how theatrical sort of the costumes and, and the set design looked compared to a lot of some of the um, less traditional dance performances I've seen in Vancouver. W- what was that like? Um, it's really interesting that you brought that up because um, I was told that the garments that they um were wearing was designed by a uh, it was designed by a costume designer who is kind of an expert in Indian um, traditional theater and so the costumes that were made were also kind of uh, based upon uh, Indian roots um, so there's another like major cultural addition right uh, like on top of the Japanese um, dancing on top of the Chinese singing right, on top yeah. of the Korean short story and then now there's like Indian uh, fashion <laughs> so um, I thought it was quite interesting like to be honest um, as like an audience member I had no idea that any of these things were um, from a different from a particular culture all I could really feel was that oh, this is different. This is not Western. This is foreign. This is exotic. Um, and so this kind of hodgepodge of things that were not North American um, did emphasize this idea that the Weaver Woman is a story um, with cultural elements that the audience couldn't really relate to without um, more explanation. Um, and... I think in terms of the sets, uh, they did a great job in using multimedia. So uh, it wasn't just, you know, props on stage. It was also um, using a PowerPoint presentation to give a full summary of the entire story um, just through through PowerPoint slides and pictures. Um, And then, and that was like in the middle of the play um, using that. Um, projector and then um, moving on with narration and sometimes moving on with um, like dance. So I thought it was a really interesting way to um, use PowerPoint and use, um, I guess, like speech and movement to basically portray the same story, but like emphasize different elements of it. Very cool. Now, just we we've only we're running out of time. We only have a couple minutes left, and I know <laughs> that there's one other performance that you wanted to talk about today. Hmm. Um, so, yesterday night I went to go see Oliver at Stanley Park, and this is a theater under the stars performance. Um, and for everybody who is you know having a lazy summer night and wants to do something really fun, they should all go out to um, see one of the theater under the stars performance because. Um, it's a really cool concept that uh, you get to go see a play outside and within one of the most beautiful places <laughs> in Vancouver. Um, is, it, is it at Stanley Park in Malcolm Bowl? Is that the... Yep, 
Yeah, cool. Yep, it's uh, so Oliver is playing from July 11th to August 22nd, and for students, if you go on the night of, um, you can get your tickets for twenty dollars mm. instead of the full price, which is thirty dollars, and so it's not too expensive. Um, and the performance is very, very. Um, it's very entertaining. <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest and uh, let uh, listeners know that, um, in my opinion, I felt as though this performance of Oliver was more visually entertaining than um, plot-focused. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, it, was, it was very, um, I think it was very geared towards uh, the younger, uh, the younger, um, the younger audience because um, there were little things where... Um, they would make the play very interactive um, by having lyrics up on the stage for people to sing along, um, sing along to the most famous songs of Oliver with. So things like "Consider Yourself" that's right. something that like the entire audience got to sing along with. Um, and before the play, they had a little um, any kid under the age of I think eight got to participate in a race. And in the middle of the show, they gave an award to the kid that won the race. Um, and Everything from the dance numbers that were happening on stage, it's very, very, like, acrobatic and um, eye-catching. So, if, yeah, so, I mean, it's something that will entertain you. Um, and, in, and for me, at least, when I was watching it, I did get kind of chilly. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, later on into place. So, for people who do want to go see it, they should definitely bring along, like, a blanket or something. Um, but it... The other thing, too, is since it's outside, um, you can definitely bring in, like, food um, that you can just eat um, while you're watching the performance. Whereas if you're watching a play in a theater, sometimes they're very strict on having no outside food come into the auditorium. Um, but since this is just an outside play, they're very lax on um, you bringing in food to share with your friends while watching the show. Awesome. Well, um, yeah. we're we're out of 